virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a Welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby and Rob, who was at the King Power, fortunately enough, against Liverpool. It was a very good, very near chance, actually, that I was going to be there, but uh, I wasn't on the road to etc. And um, through some people not being able to go there, there was a, an opportunity. And that would have been great, but never mind. Um, you got to witness a brilliant display, fantastic display of insightful, excellent, penetrative football. Uh, a press that lasted lasted for 90 minutes and excellent goals um but they were from the red shirts really not not the blue um technically it was kind of what we expected wasn't it hello rob how are you i am uh, preparing to wave goodbye to the premier league on this podcast i think that's uh, that's that's the mindset that i'm in i like i'm sure many listeners either on tv or in the ground themselves watched the full 90 plus minutes of uh, Leicester nil Liverpool three on Monday night, and you know the last two podcasts, two podcasts ago, we were saying right, go and get something at Fulham, get something against West Ham last game of the season, we'll stay up. Previous podcast, we lost to Fulham quite dramatically, quite drastically, and then it was a oh the hope is very rapidly fading, but if this happens and this happens, we might stay up. And this podcast is going to be all right. Mathematically, we're not down, but every single other thing is pointing to us being down and the faint, faint hope that might have been somewhere in the far distance has virtually disappeared for me. Are you Are you the same, Pete? I'm absolutely the same. And it seems that uh, our, our listeners uh, are also very, very on par essentially with uh, with what we're saying because uh, we did a little poll online on the uh, on at FFS pod on Twitter and uh, the question was nice and simple do you still have hope for survival or do you think we are down and even if you got one percent chance of survival you know actually there is hope then there you go yes I still have hope was the uh, was the answer um 19 percent said yes and 81 said no and that was done after the Liverpool game so gives you some indication of the strength of feeling, really. Um, Glenn the Fox, I'll actually put a bit of um, meat on the bone by saying, while it's when it's possible, I still have hope. Uh, but I do think the majority of players have... Uh, but do I think the majority of players have what it takes to get us out of this? No. Could you literally take 20 guys out of the local hero that would have more oomph from fighting them than this lot? It's become a disgrace. Which I don't think is too far off the mark at all. Because... There's been a lot of chat after the Liverpool game because it was on TV, because it was the only game that day, etc. Um, so you get a lot of neutrals, you know, football pundits, football experts, whatever, um, on TV, radio, etc. Who was at the game? So they witnessed this, and you get a lot of, wow, Leicester are really bad, aren't they? And you can't you know, keep abreast of absolutely every single team, but it's like I know they lost the game and they were perfectly entitled to lose the game, but after the first twenty minutes. Oh my word, they just fell apart and fell apart 
in not a football way, but in a running, running and closing down and and actually putting a bit of effort in. Uh, a lot of discourse after the game, Madison kind of sarcastically sticking his thumbs up to towards the Union FS people and boys and that and who were in the corner, whether it was for the chance of you're not fit to wear the shirt, which maybe wasn't entirely directed at him, I don't know. But, you know, that's not really helpful. Also, on the flip side, I don't really care about that. And I know for some people that little thumbs up maybe has completely ruined the legacy of his uh, four or whatever years at the football club. For me, I couldn't really care less about that thumbs up. Um, other players, again, going through the motions. And it's it's a case of, you know, professional pride and all that sort of thing. It's... um. It, it, it is interesting how some of the players have reacted and it's all in a bad way. You know, it is in a bad way. Tielemans is way off the pace uh, and, and these players, are quite rightfully so, because these are the top top players and they're going to be the ones who we're going to highlight. Madison didn't have a great game at all. In fact, no one did, to be perfectly honest. Um, Evans being brought in, okay. There was problems with Soyuncu, which was a real shame. Don't know quite what Suter's done or not done to not warrant a place in the side. Um, they kind of went for the same setup. What Mendy has done, not entirely sure. Um, surely they, they need that energy in midfield, which which we kind of asked for. And I thought um, Bubikara Samari actually wasn't that bad. Um, he didn't have a great game, but he actually looked like he was putting some of the effort in. And let's be honest, if that's the reason why he's in the side, that's a damning statement really just because one player actually wants to run maybe that's the reason he's there um quite incredible but uh, completely outplayed problems with the defense very high line and got caught out for the goal Castagna playing people on which seems to be a, a real theme of this season um and, and and Dean Smith after the game saying Rob very unlucky for the goals because they were just minutely on side but the first goal I don't think that that was just a lapse in concentration. What Volt Vass was doing, uh, letting the ball drop, or at least then not trying to play the ball out. I know it's slightly awkward over the top of your shoulder, but from that position, if you're not comfortable, if you're not getting a shout from the goalkeeper, who's and rightfully so because it's too far out of his box, put your foot through it, put it in the east stand, put it over the top of the crossbar, put it somewhere. But you know, playing against Liverpool, don't take any chances. Um, second goal, I do have some interesting doubts about it and I, I I get the impression Rob and I, I've not spoke to you about it yet but I get the impression you might have uh, have as well from from the commentary position because you get those VAR replays on your screen so w- the first goal I think we, we were all kind of comfortable with it was a bit of a mess at the back good finish but the second goal straight away looked like it was offside on TV then from the still it said oh yeah you can see his heel playing on the one side but it was almost like they went to the one frame that actually was onside compared to the three or four frames that was offside before then they went, oh, actually, we'll, we'll stick on this one. Is that roughly how it felt at the time? That's exactly how I saw it, and that's exactly how I called it on the on the commentary as well. So the the commentary that we provide at the King Power Stadiums for uh, visually impaired supporters, so it's uh, the, the monitors that we have in the commentary box are a really important tool for us um, because obviously you can't see everything from the commentary box uh, live in play, so we we get the benefit of all the replays and and that. And I watched the 
the images that VAR were going through. I saw the process that they were going through. And I was calling what I could see on my monitor in real time through the commentary, which is, uh, I guess, a benefit that our listeners get at the King Power Stadium that most of the supporters at the King Power don't get because you're completely in the dark about VAR until the announcement comes or the referee points in whichever direction the decision's given. Uh, and I was saying um, that the images that I was seeing on the screen at the time were very, very tight, but to my eye, it looked as if uh, Jones was offside and that Evans is is just about uh, playing him off. And then it kind of zoomed out, rewound a little bit, and then all of a sudden you're seeing them going through frame by frame and they go back to one or two frames before the point where uh, Jones has taken the extra sort of half a step that puts him offside and they then decide that that's the point that Mo Salah played the ball. Uh, and at that point, because Jones hasn't taken that extra half a step in that particular frame of the of the video, then Johnny Evans is playing him onside, and it's a goal. Now, don't get me wrong, this is not sour grapes. This is not me sitting here saying Leicester could be looking at Premier League survival based on this single decision. But as a, as a football podcast, as football fans, and and as uh, uh, people that have tried to be as honest as we can about our opinions of VAR and where it is and isn't used, that's an issue because the VAR is still remaining subjective in areas such as has somebody has a referee made a clear and obvious error in terms of penalty decisions, decisions leading up to goals, that kind of thing. And they are always going to be reliant on a human decision. That's just the way that it is. But the the offsides should should be black and white, should be yes or no, on or off, simple as. But the technology still isn't there at the moment for that to happen. Because if you look at how grainy the footage is that they're operating from and... Uh, you know, those of us that have worked in broadcasting or video editing before, you can, in using certain software or depending on what sort of video cameras you've filmed it on, you can get an almost infinite number of frames per second. So in theory, if the Premier League is using the most high definition cameras for VAR, which is not because they're too expensive, then it would be able to identify the very frame before which the ball left Mo Salah's foot because you'd be able to zoom it in so much in such good clarity that you could see the moment that there's daylight between Salah's foot and the ball and you go back to the previous frame for me, that would be the point when the ball was played by him. But it looked to me like they only had three or four frames to play with when this sort of blurry ball was against Mo Salah's foot as they've zoomed it in from a an incredible distance, and it was just kind of potluck almost. I, I'm also not a conspiracy theorist. I don't sit here and say for a second that VAR have, have been given bungs or have been told to or are even sort of subconsciously inclined to give decisions to big teams. I don't think that's the case. This is just a case of the first time they stopped it, Jones was offside. The second time they stopped it, he wasn't offside. But at which point do you get a clear 100% decision from that? You don't. 
and maybe maybe the the thinking was that the assistant referee hadn't flagged and therefore the on-field decision was onside and if they then couldn't find the fact that all of the frames either supported or rejected that decision then they'd go with the on-field decision in that if that was the case and i don't think that gets communicated by by the referees group then fine but if it was a case of let's randomly pick a frame when the ball is stuck to Mo Salah's foot, then surely that's not good enough and the, and the system's not fit for purpose. Ultimately, I think conceding that second goal three minutes after the first, well, I'd say I think, I know, retrospectively, I watched the rest of the game. That was game over. 36 minutes, game done. And... Would our season have been different? Has it hinged on that single decision? No, I don't think so, because we've lost 22 games of football. There's no shine away from that. But it was a frustrating decision at the time, and it's and it's one that I think VAR needs to be held accountable for. Not this individual one, but, but that kind of thing is going to happen again. When did the ball leave the player's foot? How can you know that for sure? Which frame do you pause it at? Because it got paused two different times, and those two were the difference between 1-0 and 2-0. Yeah, I was watching, obviously, Monday Night Football, they had Howard Webb there talking about VAR, etc. And I thought it was quite interesting to hear the referees and, and just kind of, not because of the decisions that they're being made, but just to, just to hear them in general talking, etc. was was fairly interesting. And um, obviously you've got Neville and Carragher on there and they're asking the right sort of questions for me. And I was, I was kind of interested in, I, I, I would like next season, so if there is a contentious decision given by VAR, so a penalty, uh, handball, whatever, in the match, um, there might be, say, two. Uh, whilst, that's, whilst that game's going on or, or immediately after the game, there needs to be a two-paragraph sum-up of what happened. Okay, why did we look at that? We looked at player X uh, handballing the ball. Initially, uh, the referee thought it hit his thigh. Uh, and that's why referee wave play on. And then retrospectively, we've looked back and it hits his thigh, then hits his hand. It was going to go in the top corner. So we've given a penalty on the job done. And so you can see what literally what the decision was, why it got overturned, etc. Why just in, in plain writing would be great. And then if they want to go further and release the conversation and the conversation, guess what, matches up to the, the, the couple of paragraphs. If it doesn't, then obviously there's a problem. But there you go. It, I, I quite like that. Absolutely agree with you. And we went on the VAR rant a few weeks, a few episodes back, where we, we were saying the same thing. Again, in the World Cup, uh, we all saw what technology is out there how that doesn't exist i was watching it as everyone apart from those in the king power was at home going oh he's offside oh no he's giving it onside because they've decided to use that frame as you said potluck i agree three frames out of four he's offside and they used the one that he was on yeah it and it's so grainy and you're looking at it going oh my god like what are the rest of the world thinking it is just way behind but anyway completely agree we i mean apart from that it was just one-sided we should have got turned over. I'm not entirely sure how Mo Salah missed that chance, um, which is a, a terrible thing from a dream team, but never mind. It's um, and, and they should really have taken us apart second half. Uh, a great set third goal. Johnny Evans was very upset with it being given. Um, I can see why he's being given because he kind of lunged forward um, in a two-footed-esque way, but he actually not only got the ball, and I hate it when someone, oh, he just he just slightly got the ball and then completely cleaned out the bloke whose leg's hanging off. That's not a defence 
for it's a clean tackle or a fair tackle. Um, but he actually got the ball, diverted the ball's um, accuracy, diverted the ball away to the right, um, stopped the ball almost in its track, made it bounce. He did an awful lot in terms of making connection on the ball. And very, very lightly touches the player. It doesn't really too far, you know, none of that. So looking at it again, I look at it and go, Johnny Evans as well, the sort of person he is, his reaction was very much a case of, you are absolutely kidding me. That was a clean tackle. So I I, I don't like the fact it was given. Um, it was always going to go in. Um, there is a couple of things with Everson, which when we come on to doing our team for next season and a look at the squad, which... As soon as we go down, we'll do that. So, end of the season, before the last game of the season, who knows when it would be. But when, or should I say if, um, if we go down, <clears throat> there'll be a whole podcast on what happens now, in our in our opinions, or what could happen, etc. So, I won't kind of do the, the Everson thing, but he, he's got a little bit, as much as he's a very fine goalkeeper in many aspects, there is a little bit of me which... He's slightly too far off his line. And if you are going for the far corner or the far top corner, you don't have to get it directly in that top corner. Just a bit of dip will do. Um, and it will, it, it'll go in. He just has that about him for me. But anyway, wonderful free kick. Brilliant goal. Um, but yeah, uh, the fact that the team stopped and, the, and, and it was witnessed by all. And a lot of people I know, they kind of went, oh yeah, you, so that's what you've been on about. Yes. That's what we've been on about. And it's it's very, very sad to see. And that's what a lot of fans were, were just upset about. Um, it's, yeah, no running, no fight. Basically, Rob, none of what we asked for in the previous pod, none of what all Leicester fans have been asking for, and that is some fight. I know I kind of did a bit of a Braveheart thing last episode, but that's what we wanted. And if Voltvas wants to volley the ball 10, 20, well, 50 yards over the top of the crossbar for a corner... I'm pretty sure a lot of fans will go, all right, I, I can see why. If that's the route we're going down, job done, fine. And, and then and then we'll, we'll see what happens. It's the sloppy mistakes that are becoming really, really... Well, it's, it's not. It's, it's way beyond a joke almost. I managed to catch um, randomly the other day on, on Sky um, Greatest Games. And it was the Leicester-West Ham game of the league winning season. 2-2, John Moss, Vardy, all that. And I watched about half an hour of the first half. Leicester were one up, uh, knocking the ball around fine. You just look at the the kind of no-nonsense approach. If they're anywhere in danger, they played the ball back to, to Schmeichel. So it was a long ball back to the goalkeeper, which I know would infuriate people. But again, that is a safety first option. Oh, I've gone left, I've gone right. There's a player on my shoulder. And quite, but backwards. Right, I'm going to play it back to Schmeichel. Happened actually quite a lot. Not to the centre-halves, for mainly probably obvious reasons. And then we'll build again. Now, we are 1-0 up at the time, okay? but And we are supremely confident, and the crowd are obviously behind the team all the way. But also, away from that, if there was any issues with the defence, they would play it out for a throw and then trust themselves to line up. Yeah, we'll knock the ball out square for a throw-in to you, even if it's 10 yards from our corner flag, because we'll deal with it in the middle. We'll, we'll trust ourselves to deal with it. And it happens so many times. A cross comes hoof and he kicks it into the east stand. And he kicks it into the west stand. And he kicks it behind for a corner. He takes a no-nonsense no, no approach. That's what's sadly missing with this side. 
And they might be better footballers technically than Robert Huth and Wes Morgan and Christian Fuchs and Danny Simpson. But in this situation, you can't take any chances. And yet we're taking chances left, right and centre and it's it, it's been a, been a massive problem all year. So we are where we are. Essentially, nothing's really changed. We've got a, a game against Newcastle coming up and Newcastle at the time of recording are playing tonight against Brighton I, I've kind of got down if I I would like Brighton to win um, mainly because that would mean Newcastle's position in the top four is more nervy very nervy and when we play them that those nerves could creep in if you know what I mean um, I think if Newcastle win tonight they will basically be two points away from confirming that position and it would be a party atmosphere and also, I can see, Rob, and I know we kind of get into the what we do at the end of the podcast pretty quickly, but if that's the case, and it might not have to be the case, I can see Newcastle steamrolling this side. Absolutely. If they score early, imagine that St. James's Park crowd. They're not going to stop at 1-2 or 3, are they? They're going to be really gunning for it. They're not going to be knocking the ball around. They're going to be going for goals because that crowd will want those goals. And I'm just thinking if they win tonight... They're going to have the, the pressure just slightly taken off and it, it could be a, a real... And we've had some horror shows, but this could be one of the sequels to the horror film that actually is better than the original. This could be a real horror show. Well, there's no good way to get relegated, but there is certainly got to be a worse way to get relegated and getting absolutely battered at St. James's Park would certainly be one of those, wouldn't it? Uh, I'll just dip back to a couple of points that you made about the, the Liverpool game. Um, Leicester needed a reaction after the Fulham game and all the noise that Dean Smith was making. And I thought first 10, 15 minutes, no, it wasn't like all out, like but they were decent, weren't they? They were decent. pushing. But they, yeah, they were, the, the press was there. A few tackles went in. Liverpool player got the ball anywhere in the midfield and there were two or three blue shirts around. And every single time that happened, the crowd were buzzing off it and they the, the crowd wanted to be given something to support and in those first 10-15 minutes I think they did have that then Liverpool took control of possession it was always going to happen it was it, inevitably you were going to have to surrender possession at times to Liverpool no problem um, and they didn't really cause us that many issues when they did have the ball because Leicester were parking everybody on the halfway line or behind it letting the centre-backs and the goalkeeper have the ball and then dealing with the rest reasonably well. But the the word that I think we've used on the podcast before is fragile. And that's I'm not even talking necessarily about the fact that we concede lots of goals defensively fragile. I think mentally the team are extremely fragile. It's the situation that they're in. It's the constant negative press and the and the negativity from the fans, which all of which is called for. I'm not saying it's out of turn whatsoever. It's, you know, it's people's opinions based on what they're witnessing week in, week out. Um, but as soon as Curtis Jones scores that first goal and it's come from a situation like that, you're all of a sudden, as, as the players, you could see 10, 15, 20% of any of that energy that, that they managed to put into themselves or that Smith, Shakespeare and Terry had drilled into them before the game. Um, it, it just went straight away. And as soon as those shoulders dropped a little bit, the heads dropped a little bit, the 
the sort of extra little spring went out of the out of the step. So it did for thirty thousand Leicester fans in the King Power Stadium, and it drained so quickly. And this is what I was saying earlier about the VAR decision on the second goal, because if you conceded that goal and then, all right, maybe a bit rocky for the next five, ten minutes, but managed to keep it at 1-0, even get to half-time 1-0, that would have been, what, 12, 13 minutes, something like that, then I would have backed, based on what I saw in the first 15 minutes of the first half, I would have backed the management and the players to sort of regroup, come back out, and have another go. Created a couple of chances early doors in the first half. You know, could have could have done that again in the second period and it had been a tighter game. I know it's all could have, would have, should have, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, as soon as that quick fire double went in, that was it. There was no point in playing the next hour of the football match because you could see in every single player, in every single supporter... Even in Dean Smith, who didn't really move from hands in pockets or arms folded on the edge of the penalty, uh, edge of the technical area, you could see it was game over. It was done. There was no belief in anybody's bones that Leicester were going to come back there. Liverpool was so confident on the ball, quite rightly so. They'd won six in a row. They're on a late charge to try and just trouble the top four and see if they can sneak in. They've got really high quality players. They've got a goalkeeper who can play football better than most of the Leicester players. And that makes a big difference, I think, because, you know, occasionally people called out Schmeichel on his on his distribution and stuff. And the, what you mentioned there, Pete, in that game that you were watching on, on Sky, the, the rerun of that West Ham game, you could trust Schmeichel with the ball definitely more than you could Morgan and Hooth, let's be honest, because at the very least, he had a decent length kick on him and he could get rid. Now, Everson's not bad with his feet, but I don't think that they trust him fully. Now, my final issue on this defensively is there is absolutely no point in having a defender who can play football, who is technically sound, who can play out from the back if they can't defend in the first place because then, my friend, they are not a defender. They're just an extra footballer on the pitch. Job number one for the defence is keep the ball out. That's it. Simple as that. Get rid of it any way or means necessary, as you as you explained earlier. If you can play football afterwards, fine. Added bonus. But I, th- I think Johnny Evans brought a lot to the team, if I'm honest with you. You you put a text in our uh, commentary group chat before the game saying, Johnny Evans, bingo. I'm calling for him to be subbed after 20 minutes. And I looked and I thought, yeah, haven't we seen this before? But I think I do wonder if he if he was back four or five games ago for this running under Dean Smith, captain's back, new management team in. He brings so much assuredness to the defence; it's unbelievable. And yes, bringing Sturridge back into the fold has made a difference because he's one of our best defenders. But you could have got the Evans and Soyuncu partnership back together. Soyuncu for the aggression, Johnny Evans for just the cool head and the experience. I thought I didn't think he looked off the pace at all um, against Liverpool. Didn't seem to get caught out once. Still pretty good on the ball, um, and and just you just believe him, don't you? you? Just trust him, Johnny Evans. It's all ifs and coulds and woulda shouldas at this stage of the season, and it were two games to go, and the fact that you're in the relegation zone. But I think he could have made a massive difference, Evans. Yeah, and uh, well, we'll see if he's there next year. It's I keep on being asked a question, and I bet you every single person who's listening to this podcast right now in the last uh, however many weeks 
since Leicester have been... It could even even be... We'll say from the start of the season, but some someone at some point has asked you, listening to this right now, what, what's gone wrong at Leicester? What's happened with Leicester this year? And that's more or less increased in the last few weeks, obviously. And, and I had it today. And they were talking about kind of the owners. And um, I'll come on to kind of what people think about the football, their football club, um, etc., and how they kind of react with other fans in in a in a second. But that that might be the rant of the day. But there's been a few people obviously gone about top, you know, get out of our club and all this. Yeah, right, you know, they're just doing it for a, for a rise, you know. But um, obviously, everyone takes some kind of um, part. Everyone's got a part in in what's happened. Everyone. Um, Dare I say, even the the supporters of the King Power, uh, not maybe in the in the last few games, but early season, it wasn't the loudest place in the world. And yes, you have got to be cheering on something at the King Power. I know, I know that. I'm not blaming the fans, but you know what I mean. It's like it, 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 we really slept walk through them first few months, and it was a kind of like right. And 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 I, and I think a lot of people kind of thought, you know, we're going to still finish kind of mid mid to low table, you know. And then all of a sudden, when it became apparent, right, we're really in the mire here. Basically, after the World Cup, it's I don't I don't know. You you just look at some places and the way it's re- you know some groups have reacted, and it just hasn't happened here at all. And yes, elements have, and that, and it's it's just I I said like there's ten, everyone's like ten, fifteen, twenty percent is off for whatever reason, including the manager massively didn't want to be here because. He wanted the refresh. When when we do the, the the whole thing, we go straight back to that Forest game in the FA Cup last season, when he says we need a complete squad refresh, and everyone went, "You are right. This season's not been great. We're still in Europe, but at the end of the season, there's a lot of dead wood that needs moving on, and then a new fresh squad being brought in, or the vast majority, and nothing happened, and that should have been the time when Rogers goes, "Do you know what? I'm I'm off." That that's that okay. If that's the case, then I'll, I'll go. Thanks very much. Job done. Um, but no, and then it, the rots obviously set in massively since then. But regarding the owner, um, top, they have to take a lot of responsibility. You know, end of the day, it's club. He's got to be applauded for loyal. You know, loyalty is to be applauded really. Um, but in football, he hasn't got obviously his dad's ruthless streak. Everyone away from Leicester fans, criticised Vichai when he sacked Ranieri. But he knew what he was doing. He saw the downturn in form and we were going down. And we were going down. Um, that stopped and got changed and turned around and he sacks the person who won the Premier League. Amazing. But it was the right decision. Top is now paying for being loyal. He, he was loyal to Rogers, and it was applauded all the way through all the good times. During the bad spell, no, no change. When it needed to happen, it didn't happen. And he's learnt the hard way, Top. He's absolutely learnt the hard way. Um, and he's going to have to pay for it with his, with his checkbook because of the money that they put into the club in the last few months. Um, and they're going to have to ride the storm of relegation and hopefully bounce back straight away. So Top has learnt a very valuable lesson that loyalty in football doesn't always reward you with what you want it's to be applauded in some ways but when things are going seriously wrong and changes need to be made thank you very much we've had a great time we're moving on that's the way it kind of is in football um you can't take anything for granted in football and 
I think they took for granted Premier League football at Leicester. And unfortunately, that's going to not be the case next season. It's just not going to be the case next season. Um, the other thing, again, we, we've we've had a great time in the Premier League, in Europe, in what we've done over the last seven years, you know, as fans. Um, and again, this might just only be for... A, and, and again, I don't... You know, you see things on, on Twitter and you see things on Facebook and all that sort of thing. And a lot of this is kind of like nonsense and bits and bobs, but gets taken out of context, gets put on TV. It's obviously a big part of football fandom and, and, and look what happens with some of the players. They react to things they see. Look at James Madison in the last few days. Um, I, I think there needs to be a few fans of the football club. And again, if you're just a genuine supporter, goes down to King Power, doesn't really pay any attention to all this, this is definitely not for you. You know, this is not for you. And I'm talking as a, a newly turned 40-year-old person. It's not for me really as well. But I think there's a need to be a few people who needs to check themselves out in the mirror and realise what being a supporter of a football club the size of Leicester actually is. And when you start... And you could be just genuinely mocking and having a bit of a laugh with people. That's okay. But sometimes things can go too far. And when things turn around in the style it has done at Leicester, and people go, oh, do you remember like last season when the... things will bite you back on the backside pretty severely? And so I think there's a few home truths being wrung in many people's timelines over the last few years. And that's just the way things are at the football club. Try not to take things too seriously. Try and enjoy the good times. Like, I've got a, a, a lad at work, mate at work, he's a Luton fan. Imagine what it's like with him. He, I walked in, he's wearing the most disgusting 1980s away shirt, um, and he's talking everything Luton. I didn't even put my bag down yet, and he's told me about fullbacks and all sorts. I have no idea what he's on about. But it's amazing. Like, how exciting is that for Luton? possibly going up to the Premier League. Amazing, absolutely incredible. And I was like, there you go. There's That's what you're meant to do. That's what how what it's meant to be like. If they start losing every single game next year in the Premier League, he's not going to be too downhearted because they're going to have a whale of a time. I just think there's been a few people at Leicester, you know, su supporters of Leicester, who maybe have just been a bit too big for the boots. And all of a sudden, this downturn for... The soul of the club's been ripped out. It's the biggest thing. I'm throwing the toweling and all this. Come on, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it's it's a bit it's a bit rich, really, isn't it? Um, so yeah, so that's and as a person I know, sports Coventry, and he's on about what should I do? You know, going to Wembley and all this sort of thing. I went. Do you know what you should do? Get as many mates as you can. Don't go on the train. Get a load of cars. Stick blue ribbons on there. Have all the scarves hanging out, and have a right good day. That's what you do. That's what being a a supporter is not look at us we're massive we are massive we're brilliant and all this enjoy it but when because things will turn around you know we're not Manchester United you're not having the worst season on record at Chelsea I mean, Chelsea's season's terrible and yet they're only what 10th or 11th like we are not going to be that top team for ages so whilst you're king of their castle and looking down champions is one thing being champions is great you can lord it over everyone that's fine but in the seasons after that when you're standing up there going like, look at us, look at us. And then all of a sudden it goes downhill and the other people are going, oh, yeah, we're looking at you now. And you'll start going after players, after the owners and all this saying, look what you've done. You've completely ruined my life. And all. No, just calm down 
and get your season ticket for next season because there might be a few available and actually go down the game and see it and see what's happening down at King Power and start supporting your club. And guess what? Start enjoying supporting the club. And when they win, go and have a drink. Enjoy yourself. And when they lose, maybe go and have a drink and say, oh dear, that was a bit of an error next time. Well, who are we playing next week? Great. That's what I think a few people maybe just need a bit of a reality check. So uh, yeah, there's my, my little rant for the day. I enjoyed it, though, because it's putting things into context, isn't it? You can. We don't need to say on, on this podcast and go through all the details of, of everything that Leicester have uh, achieved in, in their recent history under this ownership. Yes, the, there has been a change of ownership, an, an enforced one, of course. Um, but in context, for Leicester City, getting relegated from the Premier League is not the worst thing that's ever happened to the club. It's not the worst thing that's happened in my lifetime of supporting the club. And... Whether it takes one season, five seasons, ten seasons, there will be good Premier League times again in the future. The I think the one of the issues that there's been a lot of issues. Nobody could ever put the finger on just one, but a, a lot of fans, probably the the hierarchy at the club, and definitely the the players have believed for the vast majority of the season that Leicester are too good to get relegated. And I've I've never used that phrase as such, but I have said when people have brought it up, of, of supporters of different teams as well as Leicester fans when talking to them, I've said on paper, you look at our squad and you would say that team should be finishing comfortably no lower than like 12th, maybe even 10th, something like that. But football's never been played on paper, ever. Even games like FIFA and Football Manager have got randomizers built into them to reflect reality. You don't win football matches on paper. You don't win football matches by having international footballers in your team. You win them by working hard and playing well. And Leicester haven't done enough of that this season. That's that's the fact of the matter. If I sort of zoom out even more for context in terms of the, the ups and downs of being a Leicester fan when I was first sort of getting into it and being aware of it. Um, my first era really was the Martin O'Neill era and, you know, winning um, the League Cup a couple of times, Premier League top half finishes, some of the best players that, that you could see in Leicester shirts, like, you know, Muzzy, is it? The, the, that kind of calibre. Leaders like Walsh and Elliot, uh, you know, players like that. that. That was my first experience. And then you had the whole... Peter Taylor, then the running out of money, the administration, the languishing 16th, 17th in the championship with some really poor football. I was a season ticket holder at that point. Then the inevitable happened and we got relegated to League One, which at the time was probably one of the worst things that's ever happened to the football club. I stood in a pub, I watched grown men crying that Leicester had got relegated to League One for the first time ever. And even then, that kind of mentality amongst some supporters, not all supporters by any stretch, but some supporters was, oh, Leicester are too big for this, Leicester are too good for this. They clearly weren't because they got relegated from the championship, fine. But we then, me and my mates, um, we took on the League One as an enjoyment, just as you said there, Pete. We we embraced the fact that we'd get to go to some new stadiums, welcome some new teams. Also enjoyed the fact that it offered a chance to rebuild the squad and then the fact that you could win the league. And also we had to go in the JPT, Johnson's Paint Trophy, as it was at the time. A new competition, all right? Not the most. Who did we lose to in that? Huh? 
How, how, I can't remember who we lost to. As no, I'm I can't. Of but uh, that no. was one that we thought, oh yeah, silverware, here we come. We'll be the best team in that by a long stretch because we'll win League One. We did win League One. We didn't win the JPT. I know which one I'd rather have won. And then obviously the the next the progression over the next few years is is clear. Um, he had the ups and downs of the playoffs in the championship and the Watford game and all that shebang. And then you get to these recent glory years of winning a Premier League title, of going deep into the Champions League, of winning the FA Cup for the first time in your history. This season's not been great. Don't get me wrong. I've not really particularly enjoyed it. But uh, my wife absolutely hammers me for this all the time. She's like, you're always so optimistic. Even when Leicester lose, you say, yeah, but this happened. And I'm saying now they've been relegated. I'm like, yeah, but. And I was thinking in the car yesterday on the way back from Fiverrside. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? When we get relegated, I'm going to set up a WhatsApp group chat with some lads that I've probably not spoken to for best part of five, maybe ten years, some of them. Lads that I used to go to some of the away games and home games with, um, some of them during that League One season. And I'm going to say, look, we've got loads of grounds that we could go to now, especially around me up in South Yorkshire. Um, you know, Barnsley could get promoted. Sheffield Wednesday probably won't. Um, Rotherham's very much nearby uh, so you know Huddersfield's not a million miles away from here by train you're talking less than an hour and I'm going to get back in touch and I'm going to say look here's a great opportunity for us to reminisce over the over the days when we used to go to away games together let's have a bit of a reunion let's go and enjoy some trips to some stadiums we don't go to very often and let's keep our fingers crossed and the optimism high for the fact that the rebuild at Leicester will be a positive one and that we'll have a good old stab at getting back to the Premier League next season. Interesting what you say about Top before I finish on this particular ramble. It's He's got to learn from this decision and learn from it very quickly. I think you're right. The, the, the loyalty to Rodgers was admirable. And West Ham have benefited from loyalty to David Moyes because they've they've pretty much stayed in the Premier League. That's all but mathematically guaranteed, isn't it? You know, if if that had happened the same at Leicester, you would have said, you know what, Top, you've done the right thing sticking by him there. He didn't, clearly, because we're going to get relegated. Who knows? We probably would have got relegated if we'd have stuck with Rodgers anyway, or if we'd have sacked him off five, ten games earlier. You never know. But he's got to get the next appointment right, not just managerially, but he's got to get all of the contract situations right. It's a Big, big question mark from journalists and supporters why so many players have been able to run down their contracts. He's got to get and make sure that he believes wholeheartedly in the recruitment process and the recruitment team in place at the club. Because if you get the wrong manager in or you recruit a few players who see Leicester as a bit of an opportunity to to take a club for a ride and make a bit of cash, then you are going to struggle to get out of the championship. Look at Burnley. It's all right now, hindsight and that. But they got the appointment of the manager spot on. He got the recruitment of the players with the recruitment team spot on. And they absolutely waltzed their way through the championship this season. I'm not saying I want that from Leicester. But this is a super important time in Leicester's recent history now to get this rebuild right. And that's a decision that Top has to shoulder. Absolutely, yeah. King Power actually won the Dante today, which is one of the big derby trials with a horse called the Foxes. Um, and he would normally have been there. And Asheen Murphy, the jockey, actually said the owners aren't here today. Hopefully they're drawing up a hit list of managers. The number one 
appointment for Leicester will be a new manager. People ask me today, who who would you like? And I, and again, we'll come on to this when eventually we go down and we do, we'll, we'll definitely do, and um, we'll highlight it beforehand. When we do the podcast regarding the season and looking forward, we'll have literally the first 20 minutes will be Moan Central. After that, it's going to be the most uber positive podcast. First of all, put me in that WhatsApp group, by the way, Rob. Uh, secondly, uh, I, I was talking about, maybe still about House and Hootle and that, but anyway, that's for uh, another day. So hopefully he's drawing up the appointment because that's going to be the number one thing. Not who's going to be sent half, who's in goal, who's up front. The manager is going to be vital, absolutely vital. And there's going to be a whole host of people because it's going to be a very, very attractive uh, job. Um, you mentioned, actually, just some of the old players. Um, just a bit of a word for another podcast. I've never listened to it before in my life, um, but under the cosh. Uh, if you listened to that before, uh, I think a few old Leicester players have been in, in it, um, on it before, but I listened to it. The new one is out, and it's got Matt Elliott on there, and he tells some great stories about his time at Leicester and obviously throughout his other you know part of the career, especially a highlight is when he nearly moved to Celtic. And Yeah, um, I've that seen that really clip. Funny. It's brilliant. that's really funny so like that's well worth a listen um yeah the actual podcast itself i'm going to go back and listen to the old ones with like taggart on i think it's on one and walshie's on one um but i I didn't quite like the 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 stuff beforehand it just i didn't i don't know who's on it i think it's parking and a few others but anyway don't matter um so yeah that's well worth a listen yeah it's it's and again, I, I, when I'm when I was kind of going off on one there, that's literally ninety nine point nine percent of of people listening to this. It won't apply to, but yeah, it's just there's some people out there who tend to be the vocal people, the vocal ones, and you don't want to be tarnished on the, in the same brush as them, you know, with the same brush because they come out with some absolute nonsense in the last few weeks and like some proper weird and strange stuff that give a give a decent start to the championship. There'll be singing off a completely different hymn sheet and lauding these people. And it's just like, oh, come on. Just a bit over the top, do you know what I mean? But uh, but there you go. That's why people listen to For Fox Sake, for two level-headed people. I know I might have gone on a rant every episode, but there you go. It's not, that's not the point. Um, Well, when it comes to hope of survival, there's the only chance we've got is, by going into the final day of the season, Rob, having a chance of beating West Ham at home and then those points being, being enough. The way that Everton and Forest are playing, I don't quite think that's probably going to be the case. And uh, if so, what a strange and horrible atmosphere it will be at the King Power on on the final day of the season on on what the twenty eighth. It's um yeah ugly um is one word. It it could be uh, nasty um kind of spite. I don't quite I don't quite know what else it would be because if if we're down already, then. There is a game of football to be played and people will go to watch that game of football. But do you think that will be... And we'll talk about this prior to the game because we're doing the podcast beforehand. Just but just be, whilst it's on top of my head now, like, do you think it's going to be a game where if we're down already and there's no chance of survival, people will go going, okay, let's basically applaud the players and applaud what's kind of happened over the last you know, seven years and these players, especially for the FA Cup, etc. Or do you go with the mindset of, I'm going to give it both barrels to the players and we can do that now with no um, consequence to what actually happens on the pitch because it doesn't matter. Uh, what half of the room are you standing in or are you standing somewhere in the middle? I personally, if I was a season ticket holder still, 
I would go to the game. I would probably politely applaud the players. Uh, I don't necessarily think that I or or other supporters will be quite in the in the stage of processing relegation to the point where you can wholeheartedly cheer and applaud them and and give them a standing ovation off the pitch for their recent achievements. Um, bear in mind the most recent achievement was to contribute to the club getting relegated. My my thoughts overall would be the fact that the noisiest fans, especially on social media, are usually the captain negatives, like giving the players a dressing down, calling them all sorts of names, booing them, shouting you're not fit to wear the shirt. Uh, and if those people can be bothered to turn up on the last day of the season, then those people will be the people whose voices are heard the loudest, won't they? That's true. Um, yeah, it's it's... It's all going to be about the planning for next year. And I don't think um, when it was announced that we're going to go on a pre-season tour to the Far East a week before the championship starts. <laughs> I don't think that's kind of is in line with being uh, in the championship. It can't happen, can it? If Leicester are relegated, that will quickly be cancelled. You can't be playing on a Sunday over in Thailand or Singapore when you've got a game more than likely on the Friday night to kickstart the championship. It's either a really, really bullshit, indirect way of saying, look, we're still in with a shout of staying in the Premier League or like the club's not believing that we're down so the players aren't, blah, blah, blah. Or it's a horrendous oversight. I, I think most people who are currently questioning that the way or the way that some parts of the club are being run... I think they are probably in the camp of this is just a massive error. And I don't know, I saw it first where somebody had screenshotted it from Liverpool's social media. Uh, I don't know for sure, but it looked to me as if Leicester released it later than Liverpool, almost as if they were kind of waiting to see if we're going to be in the Premier League or not. But, oh no, Liverpool have announced this fixture against us like three or four days before the championship season kicks off. There's absolutely no way Leicester are going there before the, at that many, that short a period of time before the championship. Surely not. But if it is a proper, like, we're not down yet kind of statement, then I've, I've got a bit of time for it, ironically, but I've got a bit of time for it. So Newcastle then, Rob, I, I think a lot has to do with the game. In fact, we're gonna, we, we know we're going to lose, but the game tonight. I, I What I said prior to the Liverpool game, cut and paste and that applies for Newcastle they have to go to Newcastle in my eyes and shut up shop they need to go there three centre-halves um, bring Suter in they can put the ball in the box you know if they got Wilson up front if they got Isak then they're not exactly um, small little darty players are they they've got some units um, and so Suter for me comes in three lads at the back the two out wide five at the back you know, block the midfield and say, all right, that you need three points. You are looking for top four. If they lose tonight, we want that crowd to get nervy. Don't concede a goal for the first 20-odd minutes. Make it nervy. And then rely on the break. You just have to rely on the break. Vardy up top, Daka maybe, and just rely on a counter-attack with Barnes. Um, and just sit back and soak it up. We are not going to knock the ball around. We are not going to keep possession. We're not going to build up towards a goal. It's all going to be on the counter-attack through either individual brilliance or a nice through ball by Tillemans. 
that's how I see the game. Mendy has to come in. It's a shame Juice Bihor. He might be fit. If he is, fine. If Kelechi and Acho can put one foot to the, just to the side of a football and kick it with the other, get him on the pitch. Okay. Apart from that, I would still play Yuri Tillemans. We still need that through ball. But if at any point there is an element of down in tools, get him off. Get him off and and and, and use your, shub, your subs. You got you got plenty of them. Okay, that's what I would do. Um, but I would I would literally line up like that and make it so obvious it's untrue. This is a solid back three with two fullbacks tucking in. So it's essentially five at the back. Come and beat this. Okay, and also when you're a defender. And you've got a chance. Okay, lay the ball off to Yuri Tillemans. Pass the ball out wide if you've got a chance. But give it the big heave-ho and aim for that top tier where you need oxygen, right? That's what I would do. And that sends a message as well. If you've got the opportunity to do that, and it will say to the crowd, and it will say to their team, that's what we're about. You put that ball anywhere near me, I'm going to put my right foot straight through it. It sends a message. You know, we're here to get that point. And the longer it goes on, you're going to get nervy and nervy. And all of a sudden on the counter-attack, we have half a chance and you never know. And it puts the fear into the crowd. Now, if they win tonight, they do have that celebration element. And right, we, it's going to be shoulders slightly back because they're, they're pretty comfortable in their position. So it, but so really, I think a Brighton win tonight will do us favours. That has to be the way forward for for this game. If Brighton win, I can see Leicester if they do that, holding on, and you never know, scraping a point. You might grab something on the break. I can't see it, and I'll go for a, a, a routine two nil win. But I think if Newcastle win tonight and they turn up to St James's Park, the atmosphere will be. Bouncing, absolutely bouncing. What Monday night? Oh, they're all going to be um, Nuki browned up. And it's going to be unbelievable, and they will absolutely batter us. And I, Rob Hayes, I'm going to go for six. Oh goodness me! That might be one of the worst predictions or the most damning predictions we've ever had on the podcast. That's brutal. We we cannot match, and we have proven that, we can't match the energy, the positivity or the pressing style of Newcastle United, especially not Newcastle United under Eddie Howe, especially not at, the, at St. James's Park, especially not if they're already celebrating having one foot in the Champions League. So you're absolutely right. There is no way that you can try and press, 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 press and outrun them. I will just nip back to the point that Dean Smith made about that Liverpool, and he's saying, oh, I can't fault the application of the players. I've got the running stats here. We more than match Liverpool in the running stats. Liverpool didn't have to do any running, Dean, because Leicester could not keep the ball for longer than five or ten seconds. So, of course, Leicester ran the same or more than Liverpool. They had no choice but to. That was not because they were working harder than Liverpool. Liverpool was stood still or making two or three yard steps inside to receive another pass in a triangle that Leicester could get nowhere near. Hence, their running stats were better because they had to run more and still get nowhere near the ball. You try and do that against Newcastle, I think you're going to have the same outcome. Don't get me wrong. Press the ball as quickly as you can when it's in your half or if you want to drop a little bit deeper, maybe in the final quarter of the pitch, if you want to split it up that way, fine. You cannot 
you cannot go super high and start pressing Newcastle because they have got what Liverpool managed to successfully do with Allison and, and in terms of the lump down pit down the field. Obviously, he'll claim that it's a measured uh, a partial assist, whatever. But they have got, if they play Isaac and Wilson, like you said, they've got an outlet there where they're not going to be afraid to, to get that ball long. So you commit four or five players to the press that Newcastle go pop, pop, ball over the top. You're in all sorts of bother. So you're you, you're right. You've got to, we've got to stay in the game. That's that's ultimately it. The longer you stay in the game, the more the players might start to believe that they can get something out of it. But if you start chasing it, you'll be chasing shadows very quickly. And if you don't frustrate the players, then you won't frustrate the fans, and they'll just be raucous and and buoyed by it if you try and play the ball out of defense and keep giving the ball away in your own half as we're inclined to do at the moment that's going to get the Newcastle players and fans tails up we just got to go there and try and give the players and the fans no reason whatsoever to feel real kind of like excitement or or a buzz got to go there absolutely kill the game make it the most boring game possible even if you come out with a nil-nil, you've got a very high chance of sending this relegation battle to the last game of the season, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. Um, so what what are you going for then, Rob? What's the uh, what's the prediction? Well, I'm quite clearly not going for a nil-nil because that'd be absurd to predict Leicester to keep a clean sheet. It's been as it's been probably about seven years since the last one. Uh, you know what? I'll balance out your six-nil with a one-one. Come on, I want, I want the last. I just want something to be riding on the West Ham game. Something, please. I'm begging. That's that's all we want, isn't it? We want it to go to the final day of the season. Interestingly enough, from this position right now, Rob, if we do go to the final game of the season, I do fancy our chances of winning. Because if you're, if you've got any chance at all, now let's take it. We get three points at Newcastle. We get a draw, or we're in with a, a very good chance. Somehow we need, if we win, we stay up. We're in that scenario. We win, we stay up. I would really fancy Leicester's chances of winning because you can just say to the side, this is the best team that we can choose, regardless of anybody's form. This is the best Leicester team. Stick it out there and say to them, there you go. You win, you stay up. If you win, you can leave this football club with your head reasonably held high after what you've done over the last few whatever years if you don't you're going down and if you're staying you're on half or less wages it's very very simple and that should be more than enough for, I mean you'd think that anyway you'd think it now but it's obviously not but in a one game scenario against a West Ham side who fingers crossed tonight also get through to the Europa Conference League final because they'll be all over that rather than like winning at the King Power what team will he choose for that He's not going to want to choose his best side if they've got a European final on the horizon. They don't want... Declan Rice isn't going to play. Surely not. They're going to want him to pick up an injury on the final day of the season and miss out on a European final. Never in a million years. So there is that. And teams might go mad. Oh, look at his West Ham side. They picked a load of kids. Doesn't matter. We'll cross that hurdle when we get to it. But that's what they've got to do. They've got to get into the position where it actually means that if we win we have a chance or it means that we stay up. I've got a half a feeling though, in fact, not even a half feeling, right now as we sit here, I think by the time we play West Ham on a final day of the season, we're down anyway because I can see the other side's picking up stuff. So anyway, 
Hopefully that's not the case. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at FFSBod and you can follow us on Facebook, type in Fox 8 Podcast and you'll find it on there. Uh, any more musings, Rob? Absolutely none whatsoever. It wasn't quite as bad as I thought this hour was going to be. No, it'd be a nice uh, for something to happen at St. James's Park where we all give a big thumbs up to James Madison. <laughs>